You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Well, thank you, Pastor Duane, for uh, letting me share this morning. This is an incredible passage that uh, we just saw up on the screen. And uh, so I, my prayer is, Lord, help me not to fumble this great passage, because this is, is so rich and so powerful. So, so let's start with a quick prayer together. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray above all else, Lord, that this word would speak to our hearts in a very powerful way and assure us that we truly are your sons and your daughters. Lord, that that makes all the difference in the world as we walk in that freedom in you, as we uh, listen to you as your sons and daughters. Lord, help us to grow up, be mature, to uh, share this good news with others. Lord, it's too good to hold to ourselves. And I just pray a blessing over this word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of working with families as they've gone through the adoption process. And it's just always incredible to to watch just the determination and the resolve that those families go through. Oftentimes, they have to work with other governments that are very fickle, and they have to go through all kinds of red tape and expenses But I can tell you that you can watch an adoptive family and they are full speed ahead for that adoption. What we have in this passage is a picture of our Heavenly Father who's very passionate about adopting us as his sons and daughters. You know, I was thinking, I've, I've seen sometimes, on rare occasion, I've seen an unplanned pregnancy but I don't think I've ever seen an unplanned adoption. It, it takes forethought, and it takes that desire to move forward. And, and it's the same idea as God, our Father. He has moved forward with this amazing plan to adopt us into his family. And if you take nothing else home today, I pray that that would be the thing that resonates in your heart, just that assurance, that confidence that God is with us on this journey, adopting us, calling us as his children to come home. Are you hearing a lot of feedback bouncing around with this, with this plug-in? Are we okay? All right. Okay. Let's start out this morning. We're going to look at two things in this passage. We're going to see this amazing, the amazing benefits of becoming his sons and daughters. So I think we, we have that up on the screen. So we start out with this understanding, saying, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so I would, I would say that's the first benefit, is clothed in Christ today. We could just park right there on, this, on just this verse and literally spend hours of time just going through the scriptures to understand what does that mean, clothed in Christ. Well, first of all, we have his righteousness that covers us. God has taken our our brokenness and our filthiness and our sin, and he's removed that, and he has clothed us in his righteousness. And, And that's the foundation of how we can become his sons and daughters. So how many of us have ever felt 
unworthy in ourselves, and that's true, we are unworthy, but in Christ as we're clothed in him. And that is also our future, our hope. The, 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 the thing that's going to take us home someday is that assurance that we are clothed in, in Christ, that he covers us, that he empowers us, that we have that future hope. The next thing we see in this passage, a second benefit, is we are co-equal in Christ. And we saw this passage, Pastor Duane touched on it briefly last week, where it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In fact, I think we memorized that last week. How many have that still in your memory? What he's saying there is, is, yes, there's distinction in our gender. There's distinction in the things that make us who we are. But as if it doesn't matter. And I like how Pastor Duane said this last week. There's, it's level ground at the foot of the cross that we are all equal. I want to read a, a quote for you out of one of the study books. Todd Wilson, in his study in Galatians, wrote these words. He says, race class, and gender, these three human distinctions have bedeviled the human race for centuries. The strife and suffering caused by differences in race, class, or gender is incalculable. Only in Christ Jesus do we find the reconciliation of these differences, and thus the resultant unity among those of different race, class, or gender. And so you could say that the church, we are truly the true melting pot of the world, of, of all backgrounds, of every strata, of everything in our culture that divides oftentimes. We can come together as a church and male or female, that we're all equal in Christ. And there's, so that's amazing idea of being co-equal, not only clothed in Christ, but co-equal with him. And then the third benefit we see is we are adopted into Christ. For if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How many remember last week we sung about Father Abraham and many sons? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've, I've been a children's church worker. And uh, I'm looking around for Mike. Where did Mike go? My, oh, Mike's downstairs working with the children as we speak right now. And, uh, and I can tell you, this is a confession. This is what children's workers do when they run out of things to do. And you still have 10 minutes left. Hey, kids, let's sing Father Abraham. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, right foot, left foot, right arm, you know, and going to turn around, and then you do it all over again. And if you don't have any clue what I'm talking about, you totally missed out on the greatest ear of the church singing Father Abraham and many sons. And we have to ask, what does that mean? So what's the significance? So what? What, you know, what does that mean to us today? What we have to understand is, is Abraham is known as the father of faith. And we saw that in our text last week, where you have those three mountains, Abraham and Moses and Jesus. And Abraham was, was that beginning follower of faith, and he's the one who laid that foundation. And, and God saw his heart and said, that is the kind of person that I can take and build a nation that would follow me. And we see that lineage that was pa- passed down through Israel, and now the church has been grafted in to that heritage and to that lineage of Abraham, and there's tremendous significance in that. 
The Jews took tremendous pride. We are sons of Abraham. They'd even rebuke Jesus saying, you know, we follow Abraham, not you. And so there's this idea of this is the identity that was very important to the Jewish people. And it's important to understand that that was fulfilled in Christ. All those promises and all those things that were began in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. And now we can say we truly are the heirs and the sons of Abraham, the inheritance of what God has said. I want to design a people that will follow after me. And that's, that's us. That's the church. We are his children in that promise of what he's given us. I want to show a slide. The next slide, we, you know, we all struggle with identity and security and significance. You know, I think we sometimes ask the question in different ways, do I matter? Does my life matter? How many of us have struggled, you know, just wondering, do I make a difference? Do I have any significance? You know, has my life really mattered? And sometimes we go through seasons where we wonder, do I have that kind of significance? And, the, and these passages that we just read, verse 27, talks about now we are right with God. Verse 28, now you're right with others. And verse 29, really is what he's saying is now you're right, we are right with ourselves. And so there's this sense of God saying all the things that are broken in the human race, come to me, I will help fix those things in your life. I will put them together and and give us that right stand with God as his sons and daughters. The next thing we see in this passage as we move into chapter 4 is we see this amazing plan that God scripted out for us. And we're going to start with the foundation of that plan, verses 1 through 3. What Paul gives here is an illustration. And let me just read this. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child... He has no different, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever read a passage and you stop and you think, Wait, what? <laughs> I, what did I just read? And, and we kind of scratch our heads sometimes, and I've come across numerous passages like that, and, and that, I think, would be a first reaction as you read through these first three verses of chapter 4 and this illustration. What is he talking about? We have these really clear, bullet-pointed kind of ideas. You know, you're clothed in Christ, you're co-equal in Christ, Boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, he's saying, now, uh, what I'm saying is this. Well, the illustration seems to throw off a little bit. And I think that the problem is uh, it doesn't quite translate in our culture the understanding of what this verse is saying. You know, when we come across a difficult passage, there's always a couple things to do to help, help us interpret it correctly. First of all, look at the context of the passage. You know, we get into trouble when we take a passage out of context and, and just kind of pull out part of it and we leave out the, you know, we leave out the, if we do this, we just kind of grab the good stuff sometimes. And so let's back up, kind of go back up to 20,000 feet 
and, and just, uh, just remind ourselves, you know, what Paul is saying to this church in the region of Galatia, the province of Galatia, is that we are saved by what? By grace. That deserved an amen right there. Amen? We are saved by grace. Do you believe that? That's really important. Because there were Judaizers coming in and saying, uh, no, wait, not so fast. You, you really have to go back and become Jewish and follow those traditions. And so they were putting that burden upon the Gentile believers, saying you have to go back and you have to be circumcised and you have to go through all these rules and regulations and follow all these meticulous laws in order to receive salvation. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Galatians, don't, don't be fooled by that. Realize that our freedom comes in that grace of God. And so if we can break down Galatians into three bite-sized pieces, first of all, in chapters 1 and 2, there's the personal aspects of God's grace. And so we saw that. We've been learning of that so far. The second section, verses, uh, chapters 3 and 4, talk about the doctrinal argument. And there's six arguments that Paul presents. We saw two last week. There's two today and two that will come up next week saying, look, this is what the doctrine says. Uh, and so he's, he's kind of making a pretty strong point in this. And then finally, chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see the practical dynamics. That's the part I really love about Galatians is therefore, now, do these things and walk in freedom. Don't be entangled again with this yoke of bondage. And so there's some great uh, scriptures that will be coming up in this great study. So we have to ask the question, well, then what about the Old Testament? Was that just a total waste of time? Do we just throw that out? Do we not obey the Ten Commandments? And so sometimes there's questions, how does all that fit in? And I love how Pastor Duane explained this so well last week. The law was given to show us that we can't do this on our own. It was there to show us that I'm broken, that I need help, that I need God's grace. And so it's good for us to realize that. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm just doing fine. I don't need God's grace. But the law is there to show us, hey, we have failed. We have come short. We are broken. We need God's grace. I love what John Stott, commentator, great church leader, said, God intended the law to reveal sin and drive men to Christ. Satan used it to reveal sin and drive men to despair. God meant the law as, as an intern step to man's justification. Satan uses it as the final step to his condemnation. God meant the law to be a stepping stone to liberty. Satan uses it as a stumbling block to bondage. And so this was a big issue for the, those who were trying to understand how do I go from my Jewish faith into understanding what Christ has provided. And, and this, was, this was a big discussion in the early church. How do we work through this? How do we understand this? And I'm so thankful today, here we are, people that just kind of almost take for granted that these things had to be worked through and that we have been given this ability to come straight to Christ, that we can receive his grace, 
that message is clear today, and I'm so thankful for those who worked this out and, and clarified and wrote these scriptures as Paul did. Notice he said, under the basic principles of the world in verse 3, so to the Greeks, that was earth, wind, fire, sun, and the moon. Uh, to the Jews, that was the law. And what he's saying here is the basic principles were good, but they weren't complete, that we needed more. And so, so we have that understanding. What is, you know, let's go back up and see what this whole passage is saying. And the book of Galatians is speaking to that. And this is certainly the heart of what God is saying in this passage today. The second thing is the cultural context. We, you know, we, um, we're different today than they were 2,000 years ago. And to those who are receiving this letter, the Galatians, they would have understood right away the cultural context. In our culture, we don't have really this official rite of passage into adulthood. You know, it's kind of you turn 18, you graduate, you get keys to the car. You know, we really don't have, this is the official rite of passage into adulthood. I think we would benefit if somehow we figured that out, by the way. But, so, but to, the, to the cultures who are receiving this, you know, of course, to the Jewish mind, they had bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, and that means uh, sons of commandments or daughters of commandments, the sons at age 13, the daughters at age 12. That was the official entrance, and it was a big deal. It still is a big deal. When that young person, age 12 or 13, would be recognized as somebody who now is mature enough, uh, what it meant basically is mature enough to follow the commands of God. And they were considered an adult at that age. You received the rights to the, to the Greek mind. At 18, you became uh, pr- the property of the state. And you served in the military. All the men served in the military. And then uh, at age 20, you were officially adult. And to the Romans, you wore the, the toga that had the purple stripe. That meant you were underage. And the parents would determine when you would become an adult, and then you put on the toga that was all white. And so there's, so there's these customs that these understanders of what Paul is writing here in this context would say, oh, I get it, that there was a time when I was recognized as a child, and then officially, boom, I'm an adult, that rite of passage. So he's saying they had the Jewish people represented those underage people who had unlimited resources with the law but had limited rights. I think Warren Wiersbe says it very well. You see in your listening guide inside your program, I I included this quote from Dr. Wiersbe, and he says, The Jews were heirs for God and made wonderful promises to them through Abraham. But it took many centuries before they received these promises. Paul is continuing his comparison between the situation of the Jews and the tutelage of the Roman or Greek child. The child, Paul reasons, might be heir to a fortune, but so long as he has not reached the legal age of inheritance, the child has no dif- was no different from the slave. Even so, the Jews in their spiritual childhood under the law the rules 
and rituals of the law were the religious ABCs they had to learn before they could graduate into the full inheritance. Now, individuals, Jews, have received their adoption, their son placing as mature, grown-up children in God's family. They are no longer little children under the guidance of tutors. Believers are sons, not servants, enjoying the full inheritance of Christ. Paul now applies his argument, why do you want to go back into bondage, into a second childhood, leave the ABCs, and enjoy the full inheritance that you have in Christ? And so he's reasoning with these Gentiles. This is a, you could almost say this was an argument, saying, now let's let's kind of think this through, guys. Who would want to go back to that prior to sonship, prior to being considered an adult? Who would want to do that? And so it makes totally sense, total sense to say, no, I want to stay as his mature child of God, recognize that now I have received part of that plan. That's the foundation for that plan. And then we see where it was fulfilled in Christ. See verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, God always has his perfect timing. <laughs> How many have ever thought, Lord, where are you? I need your answer. You know, I need, I need you to show up right now. And sometimes we've questioned that, and I think we all have. But I can assure you, God is in control, and he has his perfect timing for everything in our lives. And we just have to rest and trust him in that, and we see that throughout the grand sweep of history, where there was many times people are saying, where's, where's the Messiah? Where's the promise? And we saw where that stage is set, where he says, in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And we see four stages real quickly where those things were all set. We see the political stage was set. Rome had created this Pax Romana, Romana, the the Roman peace. They had the Roman roads. They had the common language of Latin and Greek. All these things were set in place. The economy was set in place by God's hand. People were growing restless. Two out of every three uh, uh, people that resided in Rome were slaves. And it was even worse in Palestine. Things were desperate. Herod had kind of squandered all the money and and people were being taxed to death. You think it's bad now. It was much worse. You look at that stage in history, the moral stage was set. People were being left unfulfilled. And that's what happens when we chase after anything other than Christ. There's this sense of dissatisfaction that people were being left with and so there's this growing hunger, a growing religious hunger. The Roman gods were growing old, and, and they weren't answering the prayers of the people. People were turning to emperor worship, desperate for some kind of answer. And you look at those 400 years of space between Malachi and the coming of Christ, and the, and the writers during that period were saying, where is the Messiah? Where is the Messiah? Has God forgotten about us? But God had a plan. He had a perfect plan in that, saying, it's not time yet. I'm in control. 
And I think that's a good application for us to just park on for a moment today before we move forward. It's just, you know, is there anything in our lives where we're saying, God, where's your plan here in this? And I, I think it's good to just stop and realize he has a plan. Just kind of do one of these things. <sighs> that actually felt really good when you did that. <laughs> yeah. Kind of take a deep breath. God has a plan. And he's going to fulfill these things to perfection. And he did in the world scene, and he will do that in your life as well. The last point we see in this passage, verses 5 through 7, I think is the best part. It's the freedom that has been produced by this plan. Look at verse 5. It says, To redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you an heir. Isn't that a rich passage? So much in that. First of all, we're given full rights. Full rights. That we might receive the full rights as sons. I love the passage we read as we introduced the gathering, how great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Do you love that? And later he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what, shall we, what we shall be has not yet been made known. In other words, you guys don't have a clue of how great the plans are that God has for you. You can't even imagine what's ahead. <laughs> that's, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? You can't, I can imagine some pretty cool things. And what I'm reading in these passages like this is God is saying it's beyond your imagination. You can't even imagine. It's going to be so awesome when we are home with him. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We shall be like him in the sense of righteous and perfect and healed and delivered and eternal in the sense of our lives will go on at that point forever with him, everlasting life in him. All these things will culminate when he calls us home, whether it's leaving this earth in his timing or a complete rapture together. We're talking about in our, that in our class together in, in Thessalonians study. It, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Full rights. And you know, it doesn't, have, it doesn't wait until someday the full rights, we receive eternal life the day we receive Christ. The full rights are ours right now as his sons and daughters. Isn't that awesome? I think sometimes we just don't realize what God has for us right now 
Not just someday, but full rights right now. The second thing we see in this is full provision. He says, because you are sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. There's only two times in the New Testament that that phraseology is used describing the spirit in us that cries out that we are his sons, crying out, Abba, Father. It's amazing how the Trinity is at work in us. And I think we need to kind of back up and and realize right here in this passage, we see the work of the Trinity. Because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And so the Father, he purposes our salvation. The Son, he procures our salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. And so there's this beautiful idea of the Trinity living and working in us. As I have received Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in me now. And he is helping me to work these things out. He hasn't left us alone in this journey. And as we worship the Father, we are all one together in that sense of the Trinity being revealed in our hearts. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So it's like God adopted us as his sons and daughters and said, Now we want to reside in that vessel. We make our home together. And then we see the last part of this, this fullness, the full relationship with Abba, Father, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. There's a passage in Romans. This is the other passage in the New Testament that reveals this. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so you have this idea of the God of all creation. (laughs) God in his magnificence, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, everything that is grand about God, he comes along in a passage like this, and he says, I want to be your dad. And that would be the best translation of that Abba Father. It was Aramaic, and it, it conveyed the idea of a personal relationship with your dad. And I just find this amazing that that God wants to come in and it's personal. It's not this distant God that we have to appease and we're afraid of him. He comes in and says, hey, you are my adopted child. And I think if we could understand how great the love of the Father is for us, it would change our lives. I, I think we, we miss it. And, and my prayer is today, help us, Lord, to understand the fullness of this text, understanding this relationship we now have with God.
He loves us. He extends his grace to us. You know what helps me to, to help understand my relationship with my Heavenly Father? It's the relationship I have with my Father. I have a great relationship with my Father, and I know for some that that's a difficult transition. But I was very blessed. Um, great dad. Loves me. He's 89. He's going to turn 90 next summer. Still... Um, you know, still have this great relationship. And I always felt like my dad would do anything to protect me, to help guide me. And I had these wonderful adventures. For me, uh, spending time with dad was an adventure. Outdoors, hunting or fishing, uh, doing anything together on journeys outdoors. And I think, you know, in our relationship with God, does that, does that translate? I think it does. I think God wants to be on this adventure with us as we are his disciples. And there's times he's going to be with us as we step out in faith and do things that are a little bit risky as we say, Lord, I think you're telling me to do this. I'm going to do it. You be with me. And so to me, the idea is kind of hand in hand with my father saying, hey, let's go have some adventures as I learn how to be your disciple. And so I, I have this wonderful picture of what a father is like and, and the blessings of that and the relationship. But I can tell you that the relationship is even better when you're a grandparent. <laughs> it is so awesome. And, and that helps me to take these passages and, and say, you know what? That helps me to understand my, you know, th- my father's relationship with me is kind of like my relationship with my grandkids. Can I t- talk about my grandkids just for a second? I'm going to anyways. <laughs> but the other day, I had the chance to go with Dash Danger Jaeger, two years old. Full of life, and boy, he is, he is 100, goes 100 miles an hour. And I had a chance to be uh, with Piper Joy Yeager. She is, we call her our sweet pea, five weeks old. Five weeks old. Okay, so this is, this is, this is my granddaughter right here, okay? <laughs> my daughter kind of says, hey, Dad. And I looked over, and... My daughter is smiling, and Piper, five weeks old, was beaming from ear to ear back at her mom. Then she hands her to me, and she lights up even more. (laughs) Five weeks old. She's brilliant. (laughs) Emotional intelligence off the chart. You know, I think that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And I don't know why we make it so difficult sometimes. We just have to walk with him in that relationship. And it's easy. It's easy to be his sons and daughters. What an amazing passage that we have here, Abba, Father, Dad, 
Some would even say, Daddy, Daddy. Let's apply these truths as we round the corner here. There's so many applications of this. You know, just understanding, realizing the benefits of being his son or daughter. We should ask the question, how does that translate into greater intimacy, greater trust, greater greater freedom? Live free. It's our series. How does that translate to you personally? What is God doing in your life? It is fresh, that is liberating, that is intimate. What is he speaking to you today? What do you need to let go of in order to walk in that kind of freedom? What do we not understand in that? Why would I want to go back into the bondage of sin when I have the freedom of Christ. But we do, don't we? We fall short and mess up. And it helps me just to realize he has so much better for us if we walk as his children. So much better. The things of this earth they're bondage. There's nothing there for us. I want all that Christ has. Second application is sometimes we just need a dad. When do you just need a dad in your life? There's times we are hurting. We are saying, oh, I just need my dad. And the Lord wants to be there is our Heavenly Father. Ask yourself, do you easily run to Him? Or is that difficult? Do you distance yourself from God for whatever reason? Or do you run directly to Him saying, Ah, Daddy, Daddy, I need you right now. I need you right now. And the final question, the final application is if you don't follow Christ, then who or what do you follow? And does that lead to freedom? My guess would be it doesn't. You know, it's interesting that in the, throughout Scripture, God is described as a universal creator, a universal king, but he's never described as the universal father. It's only to those who have received Christ that say, I need you, I need your grace, I need your salvation. And so I thought it would be very fitting as we, as we close here this morning to give you that opportunity. If you have never received that adoption that God has, is providing, today's your day. All it takes is just a simple surrender, just a simple prayer saying, Lord, I need your grace. My life is a mess. I need you. We come in with all our hang-ups and habits and things.
things that destroy us. And it, all it takes is that simple surrender. His grace is here right now. And I challenge you, don't miss this opportunity. If we could all bow our hearts, bow our heads together. I want to pray for you. And if, if you need me to pray with you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. We'd love to talk to you later. But if, if you just want to take that step and say, I, I need this relationship with God that you're talking about. I'm not there. I need it. If you just slip your hand up when I pray, and I want to pray with you this morning, just by that simple recognition, I need God. I think the Lord will see that hunger, and he will come in and change your life. Everyone else praying, eyes closed. I'm looking around. Are there any that would say, Pastor Steve, I see a hand back there. Thank you. Any others this morning? Receive his grace. You know, it's amazing when it says in Scripture, when one person comes to relationship with Christ, it says all heaven rejoices. This is a big deal to God, a really big deal. Father, I thank you that there is at least one hand here this morning just saying I need that relationship with my Heavenly Father. I need that. And Lord, right now, let's, let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you that you come in and make your home with us the day we receive your grace. Let's all repeat a prayer together. Heavenly Father, I need you. I need your amazing grace. I need forgiven. And I turn my heart to you right now. I surrender everything in my life. And I receive your amazing grace. Now I walk with you and follow you as your disciple. And I thank you for this wonderful word today, Lord. Just just to thank the Lord today for his amazing grace. We're going to have communion together. And, and please come and celebrate as you celebrate with the cup and the, the bread this morning. Realize what that symbolizes, how amazing that communion is. It is your sonship, your daughtership, your freedom. Everything is, is symbolized in that communion. It's all in Christ, but these are symbols of what Christ accomplished. And let's celebrate as we worship the Lord and close this gathering. I'll just uh, close this out in a prayer in just a few moments. But let's just spend some time right now just thanking the Lord, meditating on his word, thinking about what it means to be his sons and daughters.